0: Church, that's Operation Christmas Child and the collection will be next Sunday the eleventh and the following Sunday the eighteenth of November. Uh, that is a great video. Good grief. Okay. That'll get you excited. But what you do is you just pack it yeah, the you know, their directions are very evident, but you pack a shoebox and is it five or ten dollars a year you you put in? It's in it's in the directions. Yeah. Instructions from the Station, but please participate. Also, today is uh, Adoption Sunday, where we acknowledge and celebrate the children that have been adopted nationally, and internationally, and what a great statement that is of of what the Lord has done for us in the gospel by the work of Christ. We've been adopted; it's, it's a great gift. So, thanks be to God for those families and for the vision they have for that. Also, church, uh, Tuesday is Election Day, and so Monday, there's a plan of prayer that we have here to pray at 1030. If you want to come in and pray, we'll have staff praying from 1030 to 12ish, and we'll have a prayer guide. And then Sunday, excuse me, Monday night at seven o'clock, we'll have a general prayer meeting here in this room um, for the purpose of crying out to God to have mercy on our land It's part of our revival emphasis and that'll be Monday night at 7 o'clock. And then I'm asking you Tuesday, if you can, to fast on Tuesday and ask God to give us really what we don't deserve. And that is righteous men and women who understand decency and justice and the importance of, of life. So, so that that's a, a an important, very important time in the life of our nation. That'll be prayer Monday night, fast day, Tuesday, or part of Tuesday. So... Be aware of, of all those things. So, uh, and I just, as we were singing, I thought about something I shared with the men, on, on Friday morning. at Man to man, I'll share with you. We were singing, in, in, in here in this room, I uh, uh, don't know if we did it at, our, at the North Campus at Goose Creek or, or, or in the gym, but we sang this hymn, "Crown Him with Many Crowns." Uh, just, just glorious. The second stanza, "Crown, crown Him, the Lord of Love. Behold His hands inside." Rich wounds, yet visible above, in beauty glorified. In other words, in in heaven you see the the wounds of Christ. The agony he bore for our sins. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity. And how vitally important worship is. And how people that are being renewed by the Holy Spirit worship. And worship is Christ-centered. And it is gospel-focused, and that's what I want of us. And the thing, what I shared with the men was this. I heard of a man named Alistair Begg, who's a wonderful pastor from Scotland, who's ministering in, in Cleveland. And he talked about the stark difference between men, he says men, in Scotland and America at worship. And he said this, Scotland is a singing culture. He says you go to soccer games, and you know, soccer has all this passing, and then they have moments of stark terror or joy when they score but but during that time, there's great singing, festive singing. It says people will break out in song, and the whole stadium will be singing, especially men. It says it comes to America, says men just don't sing as much. And I would say to you that the Bible says, brothers and sisters, sing. We have a reason to sing. I love to sing. Um, I was raised in a school system where we had mandatory chorus in the fourth grade. I was asked not to sing i'm serious i've just thought of this there were 100 hundred fourth graders and we were having a big concert and the teacher kept saying i'll get to the text in a minute the teacher kept saying somebody here is off key and i i've, I've always been a loud singer and so she said now somebody she said it three times somebody's off key and she says everybody just line up so a hundred of us lined up and she said now just sing and she walked down the line, and afterwards, class, she said, Buster, could you please stay for a second? And I said, sure. And I thought, solo. <laughs> here it comes, my chance. Finally, you know, I've been discovered. And she said this to me. She said, tomorrow night, we have our big concert, and your mom and dad are here. Yes, just move your lips. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it damaged me, you know. I, But let me tell you, we have a reason to sing. Brothers and sisters, if you've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, sing. You know, there are two brothers I could name, and I will not. I respect very much. And to stand beside them when they're singing is auricularly painful. It is like hearing cats fight in the alleyway. It is horrible. You know, everybody likes Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash was good because he sang four notes. Think about it. Every song was four notes. These guys can't hit two. But they sing. And I love them for it. I love them for it. So I told the men and men, if I had to, I would take singing lessons to learn to sing. Because we're commanded to sing. We ought to raise the roof off here in the gym, North Campus. Just sing. Anyway, let's get to the text. So we are going to be in the book of Hosea again this morning as we think about revival that is a supernatural work of God that comes upon a a prepared people who are longing for God's radical intervention. The book of Hosea is a book saying judgment is coming because you have walked away from your covenantal relationship, because you have built numerous altars to the bells because you are sacrificing your children on these altars because you're involved in cultic ritual prostitution on these altars it was a wild place but even in the midst of this when God gives an incredible statement about the coming judgment he holds out this strong appeal but repent he says such things as chapter 2 verse 14 therefore now I am going to allure her I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to my people. He says in chapter 7, verse 13, I long to redeem them. Do you hear the voice of of the Abba Father, I long to redeem you, come back. He says in chapter 11 that, that when Israel was a child, I loved him, I called my son, I taught them to walk, taking them by the arms, I healed them, I led them with cords of human kindness, I lifted the yoke from their neck. He says in chapter 14, I will heal their waywardness. In in me, the fatherless, find compassion. I will be like dew to Israel. I will answer him and care for him. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness, O Israel, comes from me. So it's a call to come back. Come back, come back. And then he says in chapter 10, the way you come back. Verse 12, he says this. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you. He says, you know, break up your unplowed ground. Walk in repentance. For it is time... To seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you, He says. But, but you have planted wickedness; you have reaped evil; you have eaten the fruit of deception because you depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. But 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 you you says, you you people of God, you break up the unplowed ground. walk in repentance it's it's all about desires listen to galatians 5 16 through 18 paul says "So, so i say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He says, "Church of Galatia, believers." He says, "There's a a, a, a conflict in your life: the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They are in conflict." Westminster says there is ongoing in us a continuous and irreconcilable war at work in us. So he says, "The way you combat that, you you should be." People who live by the Spirit and you are led by the Spirit. Later he says you are filled with the Spirit. And then later he says you keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And the question is, you know, how how, how do we do that? I think the text answers this. You break up the unplowed ground. You continuously break it up. You walk in repentance. This is a wonderful little book. Sometimes great books can come in little packages. It's called The Bookends of the Christian Life by Jerry Bridges and Bob Bevington. And this is why they write on page 112. It's a good stocking stuffer. Okay. He says, the way the two bookends are understanding the imputed righteousness of Jesus by faith in the finished work of the cross. That's one bookend. The other bookend is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Two bookends. He says, so how do you receive the power ongoing of the Holy Spirit? That's what he's dealing with here. He says, you do this by revisiting the gospel daily. We too can keep a deep sense of gratitude bubbling up within us like a steady spring in our lives as the Holy Spirit illuminates Christ's great love for each of us. Such gratitude will keep us encouraged even in times when we don't feel we're making any progress. So it says one way we we live by the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, is that we daily revisit and glory in the gospel of Christ. And in this passage, I would say that we walk in repentance. As we understand, Here's this is very important, we walk in repentance as we understand that Abba, Father, the shepherding Savior and the comforting Spirit, are enormously for us I, I can't get away from that i i look at hosea hosea time after time god says behold my love behold my goodness behold my mercy be, behold who i am now i've got some quotes in here from a guy named john calvin i, I, I love calvin i'm going to cross swords with him on the first quote and i think I think he would agree with me, quite honestly, because the other quotes, I think, show his heart, but then here's the first quote. He's talking about the Lord's Prayer. So, So listen to this. It's in the bulletin, the worship guide. Cal says, here then are the first three sections of the Lord's Prayer. In making these requests, we are to keep God's glory alone before our eyes while leaving ourselves out of consideration and not looking to any advantage for ourselves. For such advantage, even though it may aptly accrue from such a prayer, must not be sought by us here. Here's my problem. You can't, I don't think, you can separate the glorification of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, with our welfare. I, I don't think you can separate them. It's like trying to separate links of a chain. And so, so while I, I agree with him in, in some ways, I'm saying that that's, that's a false way to approach the Lord's prayer. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. I'll <clears throat> give you some other quotes in a minute. But, but my point is, we break up the unplowed ground continuously in part because we see that God's way is good and he is for us. I met this week with two young couples getting ready to get married. Delightful, wonderful. And as, as I get to know the husband-to-be, I will say to him sometime in the conversation, now, tenderly nourish and care for your wife and, and lead her spiritually. Spiritually. And woo over her. And care for her. Because the Bible says you're to love her as Christ loves the church. That's your call. That's who you are. That's your zip code. Listen to this verse. Ephesians 5, 28. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. And I'll say to this young man, if you love your wife tenderly and you nourish her, it will go well with you. Is God glorified? Yes. Is, is there joy in the home if you do that? Yes. <clears throat> How do you separate them? Or 1 Peter three seven says, in startling reality... Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in a considerate, knowledgeable way, as with the weaker partner, physically weaker partner, and treat her with consideration as a co-heir of the grace of God, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So so you, you say to husbands, husbands, if you treat your wife with respect and tenderness and compassion, you please the father... And there's no obstruction when you come to prayer and praise and worship. But if you treat your wife badly, you know, let me tell you something. Hell on earth is to know you've been a jerk of a husband and to not confess it. I've been there. It's not that God is removed and I can't pray. I don't want to pray. I don't want to worship because I'm arrogant and stiff-necked and uncaring. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced that, but I have. So, so if you want to have a vibrant prayer life, a vibrant worship experience, you treat your wife with tenderness and consideration. You see, I don't know. Hey, hey, so let's go on. I'm laboring here because I want you to see this. You cannot separate the glorification of God and our welfare. And this is what else Calvin says. So to me, Calvin, um, in the same section, I've got the same section here, he, he deals with it this way. I'm going to show you some of the quotes right here. He says this, same part of the Institutes. We must be convinced with a firm assurance of mind that God is favorable and benevolent towards us. Since no one can well perceive the power of faith unless he feels it by experience in his heart. Boy, I like that. I want to feel by experience in my heart the benevolent goodness of the living God in my life. I want to know that to taste that first peter chapter 2 says taste it see it feel it i want to feel the benevolent goodness of god in my heart he goes on he says god cannot be called upon by any except those who have learned of his mercy from the gospel learned of it from the gospel then he says we we see how he precedes those who worship him And would have them follow him and thus not fear for the sweetness of the melody that he himself dictates. Sweetness of the melody. He says this. We must be convinced with a firm assurance of mind that God is favorable and benevolent. He says, but relying upon the word of him whose majesty would otherwise terrify us. We dare call upon Him as Father, while He deigns to suggest the sweetest of names to us. Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit teaches us to cry out, God is for us. And then this, and this is great. We will never, get this now, get this. We will never spontaneously and heartily sound forth His praises Until he wins us by the sweetness of his goodness. Wow. I will never go hard for the living God. I will never break up my unplowed ground. I will never cling to him until I am won over by the sweetness of his goodness. I I, I see that in this book of Hosea. I've got to be won over by the sweetness of the goodness of God. There's a poem, I love this poem, by a guy named John Dunn who wrote Death Be Not Proud. He's, and he goes like this Just Batter my heart, tri personed God. Batter my heart, win my heart. For unless you bend me and show me your glory, he says in essence, I will never be unloosed from my sinful desires. It's a plea. Oh God, show me your glory. And I, I'm just, I want to have a deep affection for the living God because I see the glory of the cross that shouts out, if God is for me, who can be against me? And so I break up my unplowed ground. I walk in reverential holiness in, before the Lord. I walk in the fear of God because he's gloriously good. He is Abba, Father, there's a little hymn by a guy named John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. And it goes like this how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in our believers' ear. It, it uh, stills his sorrows, heals his wounds, and takes away his fears. Amen. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in our believers' ear. How, how, how sweet is his name. And yet, I look at this text. I think this text. Tells us the problem. The problem, the, the opposite of dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit out of reverence for the greatness of the cross is self reliance. He, he says here, the Lord says, you, you, you have, you've, you've, you've planted wickedness, you've reaped evil. You've eaten the fruit of deception because you depended on your own strength. That's it. You depended on your own insight, not mine, God says. You depended on your own strength. He talks about the fall of his people in chapter 13, verse 6. It's a progression. When I fed them, they became satisfied. When they became satisfied, they became proud, and then they forgot me. It is amazing that sometimes the most gifted, talented people that God has called unto himself can become the most forgetful and the most arrogant. And that's why, listen, isn't it a sweet mercy when God shows us the depth of our sin? Isn't it sweet mercy? Did you ever become have thoughts or inclinations and attitudes or you say something and immediately the Holy Spirit falls upon you like a sledgehammer on a hand. And you say, why? How did I do that? You should stop and say, God, forgive me. Then you should say, thanks be to God for showing me the wickedness of my heart. Where where, where would I be? You see, sometimes when you first come to faith, there are going to be a lot of young believers here today. When you first come to faith, you're, you you become Avis Christians. We try harder. We're Nike Christians. Just do it every day. We go harder and stronger and sweat more profusely. Just do it. Swoosh. And then, and it, it, it feels pretty good for you. Yeah. You sometimes can even become very rules oriented and think that you know God's lucky to have me on His team. It's true, and then as you get older, you hit roadblocks. Boom, boom, and you become more aware that apart, that Jesus, Jesus was right in John 15. I'm the vine; you're the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same. What will produce much fruit? Because without me, you're undone. run to Christ there's one named Annie Hawks she was 37 years old mother with three preschool children in 1892 I think it was and she was working one day and trying to take care of her kids and she was a poet and something hit her and she wrote it down and it goes like this I need thee every hour most gracious Lord no tender voice like thine can peace afford I need thee oh I need thee Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. It's an old hymn. I need thee every hour be thou by my side. Temptation loses power when thou art nigh. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. And she said as an old woman, I I realized that at age 37, but now at age 80, I really understand it. Hmm. See, the enemy of plowing up Our ground is self-reliance. That's the enemy. So we go to the the passage here. Here's here's the promise. Sow for yourselves righteousness, God-honoring living. Reap the fruit of eternal love. There's the promise. And as you look at the promise, here's what we do. Break up your unplowed ground. And by doing that, you will be seeking the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. So, see, our response is to be prepared. You break up the unplowed ground. And by breaking up the unplowed ground and dealing with repentance and and walking in brokenness and walking beneath the authority of Scripture, by doing that, you are calling out to the Lord. You're waiting upon the Lord. And God's response, by his grace, he will shower righteousness on you. That's it. So we're, we're called to, 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 to break up the unplowed ground and to seek the Lord until he comes, our prepared people. One way we break up the unplowed ground is that we we, we constantly remind ourselves of a, a couple of things regarding sin. Let me mention, that this guy is a man named Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne. In 1996, he was a 10% uh, stockholder in a small company called apple computer 1996 he wanted some money and so he sold his 10 percent share in apple for 800 dollars today his 10 percent would be worth 58 billion dollars that was a bad decision That, that was a really bad decision I read that and I thought, see, that's the way sin operates. The Bible's very honest. In Hebrews 11, it says, the passing pleasures of sin. You ever dealt with somebody with a cocaine addiction? Man, they're young. They get a hit they get a high. They get a hit and they, they get a high. They get a hit. But then 30 years later, they, they've emaciated. They've gone through several relationships. Their ability to think and concentrate is gone. They've burned their brains, their mind. And you know, great promise, but you take any sin, any sin. Young guy, tired of his marriage, chases women. It's exciting, but in the long run is not. Brokenness, defeat, discouragement. So you have to, we have to remind ourselves. Sin's a bad decision. But you see that because you see the glory of God. You see the wonder of the cross. So that, that's why I love this defini- definition from Tim Keller. He says, in the gospel, the purpose of repentance, bre- breaking up your unplowed ground, is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. Repentance is, is, is repeatedly tapping into the joy of knowing Christ. I want to get rid of any roadblock that that prohibits the joy. Another thing about sin, this this is a national landmark in Slovakia. It's a huge castle. And for seven centuries in that part of Europe, this castle withstood hordes of invaders, Turks. Other people tried to bridge these massive walls. Never could. Seven centuries stood still. It became a national treasure to the Slovak's housing some irreplaceable art artifacts and then last year this happened uh, last year there, so there were some boys playing with matches in some tall grass and the thing the, the the roof in the museum burnt down they're rebuilding it but what was interesting I saw that I, I said you know for seven centuries hordes of armies with battering rams and catapulting rocks and whatever could not accomplish what two boys playing with matches in dry grass accomplished. And I thought, that's that's sin. It is easy for me to talk about people breaking up unplowed ground that I'm looking at. But I need to look at myself. See, Little sins left unattended will burn down your house, will make void your testimony. It may be the sin of ingratitude. Have you been around Christians that just complain all the time? That's sin. The, the, the sin of a peevish, unforgiving spirit can destroy your life. You see, the devil doesn't have to have us buy into big sins. Murder. Theft. He, not not the sins that would be on the front page of our local paper. If he can just get us living in a way where we're not worshiping, we're not breaking up unplowed ground of respectable sins, he, he wins. And, and, and so I want you to look at this little statement from the Westminster Confession of Faith in the next few minutes, and I'm going to walk with you through this and talk about breaking up unplowed ground. The Westminster Confession of Faith, this is a great statement. I think it's biblical. I think it's strong. But in Article 2, well, Article 1 says that, that repentance is an evangelical grace. We're called to be repenting people. When Martin Luther inadvertently started the Reformation in 1517, he nailed 95 theses on the church door in a place called Wittenberg, Germany. And the first thesis says, when our, Lord in Christ, when our Lord in Christ called us to repent, he meant that repentance was to be an ongoing attitude in the life of the Christian. So it's an evangelical grace. Number two, that we repent when we see the odiousness and the filthiness and the putrid nature of sin. And we apprehend the mercy that is found for us in christ you see both and one of my great concerns is that we as we talk to our children that we say you know sin destroys it is bad it 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 it, it you operate in the law of diminishing returns all those things are true but i want us to labor simultaneously and probably primarily To say, Behold the beauty and the grandeur and the goodness and the wonder of Jesus. Behold the wonder of the cross. Behold the power of Christ. Behold the the, the joy of reaping a life that is filled with godliness and contentment as you walk with Jesus. That's what I want our kids to see. The just say no campaigns don't work long term. The look and see campaigns do. The taste and see campaigns of First Peter two do. I want our people to see the beauty of Jesus. Thirdly, it says here, none may expect pardon without it. In other words, repentance turning from sin. Hating sin as I glory in Christ is a work of the Holy Spirit and it's a sign of my salvation. It is. Are you a repenting person? One of the, I tell people frequently the scariest verse in the whole Bible passage is Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 21. Christ says, with unspeakable clarity listen not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my father in heaven see obedience is not the root it is the fruit faith alone says but faith produces fruit jesus says this many this is what's scary to me many Will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or preach? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. In other words, these were, were, yeah, these were people who were involved. And and, and then Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Wow. Wow, are you a repenting person? Because you see the filthiness of sin and the beauty of the cross. And it says here that there is no sin so great that it will bring damnation. I don't care what you've done, the cross is there. Abba Father is there. The shepherd in Christ is there. The power of the comforting spirit is there. If you run to the cross, no matter what you've done, anything. There are people that would be sitting in this room, in our gym, in North Campus. And boy, a bunch of us have done a bunch of stupid things, but we've seen the cross. There's no sin that brings damnation if you run to the cross. And then he says this. It is our duty to endeavor to repent of particular sins Particularly. It's not just, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. It's particular sins, particularly. Church, break up your unplowed ground. I pray that for me. I've I've, I've been walking, thinking about some things I need to deal with. Break up the unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers, pours, (laughs) engulfs us in his power and very quickly there's some statements my time is gone but look at these statements here and pray through them Um, look at number six am I willing to be accountable to another believer in those areas of my life where I have experienced past failure so that I may develop new patterns of victory we need the body of Christ we need people who are praying for us who walk there's galatians 6 says says brothers if anybody is caught in any sin you or spiritual go and restore him and do it gently as you watch yourselves nobody here should ever throw stones at anybody else because we're all all, all by the grace of god i need brothers in my life who i can go to and say you know i need help here here and here please pray for me i need a band of brothers Mm, okay well let's pray lord we bow before you now in our hearts And we ask that by your grace and for your glory and because we see the beauty of the cross, that we, your people, would break up unplowed ground in the way we steward our resources and our time, in the way we treat people, in the way we, some of us, Um, disparage other people's ethnicity or their economics or their education or lack thereof. God, forgive us. We thank you that you say very clearly throughout Scripture that God looks on the heart while man looks on the outward behavior. Man looks on the height of our stature, but you look at the heart. Um, Lord, we ask your forgiveness for not being bold and stout-hearted. We ask your forgiveness for being filled with ingratitude and and pointing fingers when we don't realize that we've got to get the, the beam out of our eye before we can even begin to get the speck of sawdust out of our brother's eye. I pray we be a repenting people. God, I plead that the next generation and the next generation would hear from us that sin is despicable it's an affront to holy God and they would also hear from us time after time behold the glory of Jesus because we've experienced his wonder in our lives behold the wonder of sins forgiven by the sacrifice of Christ behold 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 Lord I pray we would taste and see that you are good you are benevolent win us by your grace and glory. Batter my heart. Try person to God, I pray. In Jesus' name, we pray that you would have great mercy upon our nation during these days. In Jesus' name, we pray that you would turn our hearts, the hearts of your people, towards Christ and that we would be a tidal wave of preaching the gospel and loving those who cannot protect themselves and caring for the downtrodden and speaking out for life in the womb with brokenness and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.